0: Hi, and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various interesting people on to talk about their niche area of interest that they could just talk forever Here are your hosts. I'm Ali.
1: And I'm Nigel.
0: And today we have Jen. Jen, how are you?
2: I am on top of the world, my friend. Thank you.
0: Good to hear it. And what are you here to talk to us about today?
2: Today I am here to talk to you about weird books.
0: Nice. I okay. Agree. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I feel like I feel like if you were like well yeah I could take them or leave them that would kind of be that would be more surprising because uh, sometimes people come on and they're like here's something that people don't know about me that I'm really into whereas if you were like well personally these weird books I don't care for them that would be the <laughs> shocker
2: I just know a lot about them but that is my burden to bear you know
1: yeah, it's like how I know a lot about the Bible. <laughs> exactly. Is the
0: Bible a weird, so, a Bible could a weird argue book? That the Bible Join is us for our a weird book. Discussion.
1: Ooh. Okay. Why is the Bible a weird book? Now I'm interested All about right, this. So
2: here we go. This is such an interesting, uh, such an interesting beginning for this. All right. So the Bible, auspicious is... one might say. Exactly. <laughs> like, let's let's just start things off. Right, let's fire right in. Uh, the Bible is um, perceived to be one continuous narrative from a single perspective, which is patently not the case, right? It is mm. a disjointed collection of different, um, either historical or religious um, stories from different. Um, authors anonymous authors and often uh, written centuries after the um, the events that they are describing or that they're depicting and yet and yet it is so full of self-contradiction so full of ambiguity and yet people center their whole lives around this document that is spurious at best from a, uh, a standpoint of like, hey, where did these writings come from? And should they still be informing our um, our outlook today, right? It'd be as if someone mm. really, really was into the tale of Gilgamesh, which was probably written by only one person, at least the version that we have. So it has that over the Bible. And like, use the tale of Gilgamesh to inform their entire outlook on life and try to... Um, affect uh governance and the relationships of others and their own outlook and interactions with society so really uh the bible is a
1: super weird book (laughs) hmm i i don't know i know i would prefer it if it were the epic of gilgamesh
2: (laughs) yeah instead of jesus we're all talking about enkidu yeah
1: yeah What were you going to say, Ali?
0: I I was just saying, like, when you put it like that, I suppose it is quite a weird book.
2: Yeah, and it's also interesting, especially here in the United States, I don't know how how it is in Ireland, um, the willingness of people who do centre it so much in their life to focus in on certain areas versus other areas, is so fascinating because, like, even the tale of creation, right, you can clearly see that it's written by two different authors because the first line of the book of Genesis is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then later in the book of Genesis, we get the like day countdown. It's like on the first day God did this and the first day God, the second day God did this. It's two completely different um, tellings of a creation myth, but it's somehow gets conflated in the, in the, um, in the belief system, and people, uh, people don't acknowledge how freaking weird that is, right?
0: It's like when you're watching a TV show and you can tell that like the writer is wanting to do two different things at the same time.
2: Absolutely, I, w- I think about it like Star Wars fans, which is a weird segue off of the Bible are so hyper-focused on maintaining canon, right? Like, things can't contradict Mm. canon. Dave Filoni did all eight or whatever seasons of the Clone Wars TV show without Anakin and Grievous ever meeting each other so that the line in Revenge of the Sith, you're taller than I thought, Uh, you're shorter than I expected, Would, would still make sense. Whereas the Bible is like so self-contradictory in like who does what, who says what, when do things happen? Like the whole story of uh, people arriving at the cave uh, in which Jesus was interred after the crucifixion. It's different from three different points of view that say like, oh, when people got there, uh, the, the rock was already pulled back or other, another one says when they got there, the rock, the ground shook. The rock broke apart, and he like flew out, like evil Knievel or something. And then there's another one entirely, where it's like, "Hey, we got there, and there was no one there. It was wild. It, who, who, who could have, who could have foreseen this happening?" So,
0: mm. sure, don't we all have those like moments where like um, none of your friends can agree on how something happened?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, that's a great way to start on the weird book um, episode. <laughs> I think.
2: Yeah, normally hmm. normally my interest in I've
0: compared the Bible to a TV show and Yeah. Just your friends and, not being able to agree on something.
2: And you, and you know what? Maybe maybe in a couple of millennia people will look back on this podcast and be like, no, that's not what Kat said. She clearly said this, you know, and then they uh then they don't talk to each other anymore after that argument. Who knows? <laughs> but um yeah, normally my focus on weird books tends to stray away from uh religious texts it's typically Mm. typically fiction which is uh which can i would say historically is less it has uh less of a body count than many religious texts but uh is no less um contentious in the debate amongst scholars and enjoyers of all kinds
1: hmm before we tackle into that, I think it's a really interesting line. Just but like from where we leave the Bible to what you're saying about weird books and being contentious and fiction, there's a really interesting example of a lot of details that we have about like certain Renaissance artists come from this book, Life of the Most Like Magnificent Artists or something along those lines by Giorgio Vasari, um, and especially the details in it about Leonardo da Vinci. Um, they're written as if he were contemporary of Da Vinci um, and like he says that he knew him or whatever but he was born 20 something years after um, Da Vinci died or he was born after Da Vinci died anyway
2: yeah exactly it's the same basic idea where it's like we can tell you exact dialogue of what the, the saints said no you can't mm. this was written down at least 200 years after the
1: Yeah,
0: unless you got really. You
1: know, yeah. You know what? What weird book I'm going to segue this this through line into, Jen? I'm so excited. Let's let's see this segue. The Voynich manuscript. Exactly. No one knows what anyone is saying.
2: You know what? It's 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 a tale as old as time. It's, It's a law of the internet. If you present a scholarly consensus. On a social media app, you will have uh, thousands of people telling you you're wrong. I did a video on the Voynich manuscript in which I rightly said, because I researched it beforehand, that no one really knows what it says, right? We have some guesses, but nothing's really panned out and nothing is definitive. The amount of people that were commenting, "Uh, this was decoded back in 2014, this was decoded back in 1997, this was decoded, like, and every single one was different, right? Every single person gave me a different date and a different team as to who had uh, decoded the Voynich manuscript and also uh, what it was about. Like, it was it was the most amazing thing to kind of sit back and watch where it's like, look at this Braxton Higgs, not Braxton Higgs, what is it? Uh, Dunning-Kruger, ha, very different uh, a f- phenomena in effect. Of all these people, definitively stating something of which they are wrong—it's <laughs> amazing.
0: of your point, to be honest.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it was mm. fascinating, and I do have a like really high-quality um, scanning of the Voynich manuscript that I flip through from time to time, and I just look at it and I go, like, clearly, I'm not. I'm not a linguist, I'm not a, um, I'm not a code breaker or anything like that. But the idea that like, people on, on TikTok or YouTube could look at this and be like, oh, I know exactly what this says, just blows me away. Blows me away.
0: Honestly, because like, mm. I swear I have a whole degree in English, like in English literature and stuff. And I still think I'm completely like a fool, like trying to argue any of my points. But like, if I had like a tenth of the confidence that these people on TikTok have, I think I'd be doing okay. Yeah, mm. I
1: agree. Might I tell a divergent series of interesting facts? Um, Lay it on, of me. course. This this is new now because the Voyage manuscript didn't really come up in the last time we tried to record this episode. Um, but you'll like this uh, fact, Ali, um, because it relates to cork um <laughs> you want to know how the how the Voynich manuscript is related to cork ireland
2: boy do i
1: yeah this is really this is actually really really interesting um and i had forgotten most of it but i found where i outlined it in a video pitch i sent to uh youtuber tom scott like in 2020 um because he asked for like video pitches um but it was like so that like This is the links between the real-life Moriarty and Shostakovich by way of um, the uh, Voynich manuscript. So, uh, you know about George Boole, right, Uh, Ali? There's a Boole Library in University
0: College Cork.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, he, according to his biographer, Professor Des McHale, Helped inspire the character of Arthur Conan Doyle's Professor Moriarty. This is corroborated by the fact that Moriarty is described as being chair of mathematics at one of our smaller universities, which may very well be University College Cork, which held Boole yeah. as its chair of mathematics, and the number of people with the surname Moriarty in County Cork. Boole also worked in Boolean algebra, which allows search engines to actually search using Boolean searches. And so, uh, George Boole had five daughters, Alicia who helped her father in her work and made contributions to four-dimensional geography. Margaret, who married the artist Edward Ingram Taylor. Lucy, who became the first female professor of chemistry in England. Mary Ellen, who married Charles Howard Hinton, author of What is the Fourth Dimension, a man who helped create and shape the way we talked about and visualized the fourth dimension, and coined the word tesseract. And finally, Ethel Lillian, who married the scientist Wilfred Michael Voynich, the man who discovered the Voynich Manuscript.
0: Legend. Like Girl bosses.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and Kevin Bacon's in there somewhere too. It's wild. Who would have thought?
1: Yes. And Somehow. then to get to yeah, to get to Shostakovich then it's just Ethel went on to write the novel The Gadfly, which became a best selling novel and and required reading in Soviet Russia at the time. Her novel inspired yes. Dmitry Shostakovich to write his Gadfly Suite, which appeared as the soundtrack to the film's nineteen fifty five Soviet adaptation.
0: I love that. I love that fact. All the books.
1: Yes. Now I suppose we should return to the question, which normally begins our episodes: Why weird books? Why did you pick uh, this as your topic, and how did you get into it?
2: Um. Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll go backwards from that. Uh, so, like, how did I get into yeah, it? Right, we're
1: jumping all over the place here. We start with the Bible. We go to, <laughs> we go to the Voynich Manuscript. Then we go back.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 hope everyone's, uh, hope everyone's buckled up because we're, we're having a, we're having a good time here. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, how did I get into weird books? First and foremost, like, I've always been into like weird art, like, and I, I credit my father for that because, um, in particular. His taste in music was very strange. Um, there were people like talking heads and in particular Frank Zappa was a big deal for him and that sort of passed down to me. Um, and as, um, and as I was getting older and like eventually I landed in college because I don't know how to use my money uh, wisely because uh, huh. it's not free here in the United States for all of our for all of our Irish listeners. yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not free here uh,
2: either. Oh, thank God! Huh. We're not so different <laughs> after all. It
0: uh, is cheaper, but it's not free. Believe yeah,
1: yeah, we've really healed, healed. We've healed the cultural divide.
2: Exactly. We figured it all out. Um, my freshman year, so my first year at co- in college, um, I was remarkably bored because uh, I had I had a theater major's schedule. And when you're not in a show and you're a theater major, you spend maybe three hours a day in class. And then the rest of your day has to be populated with something. And I definitely didn't have enough money to just be drunk all the time. So <laughs> I uh, I started either going to our library or uh, going to the local like bookstores and whatnot and just grabbing stuff. And like yeah i plowed through a lot of like the classics and whatnot which is like the second biggest thing that gets views on my uh tiktok channels like my classic uh recommendations or just videos talking about them but the thing that like eventually i got bored with those as well which is a weird sentence to say but like yeah i got bored with charles dickens and fyodor Dostoevsky. but um it was all just like very samey so Mm. eventually i found my way to some of the more weird stuff which uh weird stuff within like the classics world um which are people like joyce and beckett um two people that the two of you are probably very familiar with but um yeah and from there it sort of spun off into other avenues of weird where it was like hey they've shown what can be done with uh with the modernist movement or even the postmodernist, It depends on where you really want to say the two of them fall. But um, that sort of kicked it off where I was like, okay, it's been 60, 70 years, however long since these men were writing, um, what's happened in that intervening time. So that is kind of what led me to pick it for this particular uh, conversation that we're having is because it's kinda, there's, in my mind, there's two ways you can go with any particular art. You can be very, very original, or you can be very, very good, and the rare genius is the person who can meld the two. Um, So like, straightforward fiction, like you can have examples of really, really good straightforward fiction. Uh, Do I have one ready off the top of my head? Absolutely not, but you know what, we're rolling with it or you can <laughs> diverge off into being more experimental with your with your medium and your craft, and then that can be sort of like the draw to really yeah. uh, ignite the imagination of your readers.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, I'm not going to press you on that first one for like, uh, you know, like a, a good example of original writing. Um, but i want to kind of drill down into what were, what would be some of your um recommendations for the sec for that like latter part because i know people who are familiar with your tiktoks uh you know they've been introduced to certain books that you recommended be that s or i mean house of leaves is kind of doing its own thing now it's gaining an awful lot of popularity from what i've seen but or they'll they'll understand that you really like the works of um clarice the specter uh in particular <laughs> but if you were to give certain examples of that second like the latter part of that
2: like the original side of it yeah absolutely so like yeah. for me like weird books like writing fiction as a medium uh if you want things to be weird to me you can sort of play with like one of three things the first is going to be um, your, um, your literally like typography, the type on the page. Is it just a normal block of text or like a normal uh, paragraphs and sentence structure? Or is it similar to House of Leaves, which you just pointed out, where eventually the text begins to warp and go missing and go backwards. And all of these things that help tell the story in a metatextual sense, not necessarily though sometimes yes, In a literal sense, like reading the words won't really help edify the story, but the way that the words themselves are presented to you helps um, sort of transmit the story from Mark Z. Danielewski to you, right? The next is going to be in your subject matter, and I sort of roll together like story structure in this, where it's like you can pick something so just like out there, bizarre, weird, that it that it. naturally, will not be something that falls in the mainstream. Um, Something like that, uh, that I would say would be like, um, like The Trial by Franz Kafka. That, it's written straightforwardly in terms of like its structure, but the, what is happening to this man is so bizarre and so just crushingly terrifying in the most banal and bureaucratic way that um, there's no way that you could put this book next to, like, The Great Gatsby, for instance, and be like, yeah, they're the same. Look at them. Look at them go. And then (laughs) the other one is one that just completely metatextually plays with the idea of the book itself. Um, A good example of this is S by J.J. Abrams and Doug Dorst, uh, which Najee just uh, touched on. Another good example is Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov, where um, the beginning portion of the book is a four-canto poem by an imaginary uh, poet, a character that Nabokov created. And then the story, quote-unquote, is told through the footnotes, which make up probably 75% of the actual volume artifact that you hold in your hand. And through that, you get not only a, an illumination of what is happening in the poem, but also, like, the story of the poet and this person who is writing the um footnotes to this poem and that is your narrative which is just so metatextual and so impossible in any other medium you can't do that in anything but books so yeah that's uh that's my breaking down of what what it is to be a weird book
0: Mm. so there are many different ways to be a weird book
2: say that again i'm sorry
0: I was just saying, there's weird, different ways to be a weird book.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and then obviously you can have any kind of combination of those three, right?
2: Absolutely. Like, they're d- definitely not mutually exclusive. Like, um, a good example is, as I spin around to remember what the title of it is. Is it on my bookshelf? It is not. All right. Never mind. We're moving on from that. But yes, it's absolutely possible to do that. Um, well, actually, a good example is um, a good example is uh, Ulysses by James Joyce, where a good portion of the novel is just is just I say just, but rather straightforward um, stream of consciousness writing. But eventually it starts to morph into like different experiments in the text where like a whole chapter told in question and answer form a whole uh portion told in as if it were a play um moby dick is another great example where they oh, where melville also has uh, a portion of it be um told as a play and then there's another whole two chapters Dedicated to just the biology of whales as it was understood during Melville's time, which is wildly factually inaccurate now We know it to be but like Why is it in there? It's hard to say taking it out though does somehow Cheapen the experience of reading that novel. So for some weird reason it works Um, Yeah, that's it's wild what people can think of And it's even wilder that other people will understand it. Like it's the great mystery to me of art where someone is basically showing the world like, hey, this is who I am on the inside and other people going, hey, I see a part of me in that. Like it's so hard to um, quantify and qualify, but we've all understood it in some way or another. We've all experienced that in some way or another. And uh, Weird Books for me is, in many ways, the rawest example of showing who you really are because you're breaking out of this wonderful format that has been made for you over thousands of years. And you're like, yeah, but what if it was completely different? Would anyone be able to understand me? And also, would anyone give a shit?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I I enjoy about Joyce as well, in terms of like experimental stuff, is that like, is this weird like evolution in the writing styles in his book? So, like, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man starts off with like simple childlike language, um, talking about moo cows and baby tucku and stuff. And then, as Stephen Daedalus grows and matures and goes to college, his language does also, and then with Ulysses, it's like the evolution of English language in literature, as each of the chapters goes on, and it's like, how do you come up with all of this, Jimmy? Right? (laughs) And not only that, we can see
2: Joyce's transformation as an artist, too, because before that was Dubliners, which are amazing short stories, but they're really, for lack of a better term, vanilla. They're just straightforward the way that they're written and the things that they tackle. They're tackled very well. Like the last page of The Dead is some of the best writing I've ever seen in my life. But it's it doesn't break any new ground. So when you get hmm. into portrait and when you get into Ulysses, it's him being like, I've I've when when I last left you, I was but a learner. Now I am the master. And then when he gets to Finnegan's wake, it's it's all all bets are off because he's like, let me just show you The exact bit of my mind that no one can
1: understand.
0: (laughs) It's like, look at me go.
1: Hmm. I was at a speakeasy um, a little while back. And during it, um, my friend Shorsha got up and sang the song from the dead. Really? Yeah he's fantastic he like at previous speakeasies he's done like these really really interesting dramatic readings of like finnegan's wake um and i really want to just give him money to be like just record yourself perform it record it i want it please <laughs>
0: mm. I <laughs> will pay. It.
1: yeah i will give you i will give you my hard earned dollar monies um and you will give me in exchange james joyce <laughs>
0: seems like a reasonable yeah. trade-off to be
2: fair absolutely I yeah
1: agree. although yeah speaking of trade-offs and your point about dubliners being vanilla joyce my brother he was going back up to manuth one day for college uh, and he stopped up in a bookshop and he bought a copy of Finnegan's Wake. And he was like, oh, I want to read Joyce. And I'm like, have you read Joyce before? And he was like, no. And I'm like, I'm sorry. like, Yeah, what a place to start. That's like being... That's like... I, the metaphor I used was something along the lines of being... Like, saying you want to get into Joyce with no prior experience, and then just starting with Finnegan's Wake, is like saying you'd like to try using drugs and then just mainlining heroin. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Link to our last episode. It's like saying you wanna get into David Lynch and then just going straight into Inland Empire.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like just like
2: no Yeah, not 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 uh I mean I'm not gonna say don't do it. I'm gonna say well I will say don't do Black Tar heroin. Don't do that. Uh, but, but outside of that, yeah, like, like I'm not gonna invite. tell you not to do that stuff, whether or not you will enjoy it is up in the air in many
0: in many know. cases,
2: I do feel you need to develop the taste or the um, almost like the neurological muscle for these types of things, um, which is why, like, yeah. especially in like theater, when people are starting to get into some of the more um, out there theater, I will say, hey, start with waiting for Gado instead of going to like um, God Endgame. Or even like a lot of like um, Pinter stuff, like the birthday party. I had someone; it was their first time reading like non-representational theater, and they came to me and they were like, "What the fuck is this?" And I was like, "It's a great question. That one's really hard. I'm not even sure I can parse out what he's trying to tell us." So, Look like, yeah, how about
0: we sit down and we try and figure that one out together.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was like did we pause long enough in between the lines here for us to really understand what is being said or no? I don't I don't understand So yeah, it's it can be tough like I do have a lot of people um That will ask me questions where they're like hey, how do I get into? Classics, how do I get into weird books and it's really just finding something that like Resonates with you first and foremost so that you can have like this in this like toehold when the rest of it is just completely outside of your realm of experience or just like beyond you even just in terms of being a reader. But having something to be able to latch onto and be like, have that as your North Star is a great way Mm. to start sort of building the muscle necessary, the intellectual muscle, the specific one, just that deltoid in the back of your head uh, that is necessary For reading this stuff that is deliberately challenging, because that was the only way the author felt they could uh, faithfully tell this story.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Are there any particular reasons that you see that you, you, like, as someone on Book Talk, that you've seen people getting into? this type of like thing because i know they're trying to find <clears throat> that deltoid muscle at the back of their head as you say but and i don't know i mentioned it before house of leaves is slightly people are discovering it because i feel like house of leaves for how difficult it is i feel like it's on the uh like shallower end of the swimming pool in terms of weird books both both uh dan own books uh, uh like if you compare it to the familiar um and then also like just weird books in general. Like, how have you seen people actually getting into them? What's there in? Yeah,
0: Do you have any insight? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. ha, <laughs> Insight from me? No way. Um, yeah. No think- <laughs> insight, just Jen. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's interesting because Book talk is such a unique uh, entity within the world of the internet and the world of uh, social media in particular where I find that people will attach themselves more to creators than they ever had before. Like with the possible exception of YouTube, people got very into specific YouTubers, but like Mm. uh, people, I see the same like 20 people commenting on pretty much every post I put up. And like, I know those are like my ride or dies. Those are the people that like, if, 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 if for some reason, like it all goes away, they will find me on another platform because they enjoy the stuff that I talk about. And I think for a lot of people in talk, that is their in to uh, things that they didn't necessarily know that they might be into, right? So I have a lot of mutuals that are like exclusively horror, but whenever they find something slightly outside of that horror uh, circle that they run in, their followers trust them and trust their tastes and trust their opinions, so they're more likely to follow it. So if that horror uh, book talker is like, "Hey, you know what? I read this romance. I read this spicy, sexy book, and it it scratched a lot of the same itches that all of this horror that I'm reading are." Which is a which is admittedly a kind of like harrowing idea that I've just broached forward, but whatever. We're rolling with it. Um, and I think a big part of that, too... POV,
1: you're reading Gerald's Game by Stephen King.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Literally, right? Exactly. Um, and I think a lot of that sort of, like, at least for me and the people that have been watching my videos since pretty much, like, the first one on books, which was on S by J.J. Abrams, at first I was just like, hey, I really resonate with this story and the way that this story is told. And I'm going to find people that either A, already like this, or B, think they might like this, right? Because I think, in particular, uh, my generation and the younger generation are um, unfairly criticized uh, for being just like, only the mainstream, you know? Like, there's I've heard so many people say there is no co- counterculture anymore, to which my response is, there is, you just don't know where to find it because you're old. Um <laughs> So like,
1: people, it's true.
2: yeah, the younger folk, the younger folk are so much more willing to try new things if the person that's telling them about these new things is someone that they feel they can trust. And I think that's a big part of it for, um, for people that are coming to my videos, because I am very careful to not be negative about any of the books I... I recommend, or any of the books that people bring up. I've had numerous people be like, "Hey, can we get a video from you um, about uh, books that you thought were overrated or books that you didn't like?" And I've always demurred from that because I don't want to be this person with this platform. Uh, and platforms in this day and age seem to carry with them a bit of uh, authority, which I don't think is the case for me. I'm just just a trans girl talking about books on the internet, um, but. I don't want to have me with this huge platform, or moderate platform, whatever size platform, it's fine, um, shitting on a book that could be one of my followers' favorite books. Like, I don't want them to have that feeling of like, oh, uh, this book girl told me that my favorite book is bad, so I must be dumb, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah,
2: um, the only exception I'd- I've made is Ayn Rand, because fuck her, but whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, know, exactly. This is not a safe space for Ayn Rand.
2: Yeah, on-site. It is on-site for Ayn Rand.
1: It's on-site for Ayn Rand and Ayn Rand enthusiasts. Bioshock enjoyers, you're on thin ice.
2: (laughs) Well, it depends on whether or not they enjoy it for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm a fan of Bioshock, and then you have to be like, what specifically? Yeah,
0: how do you feel about it? Yeah, let me know there. Like, no, there's no reason I'm taking notes. Like, I'm just, um...
1: Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. So that's the there, way I think. That
1: there was a Go yeah. Ahead. I'm sorry. There was a book that my uh, ex lent to me when we started. Oh dear! What the what the hell happened to that? Uh, sorry, I was looking at a book that I, I was picking up from my shed, and it was the back of it is all destroyed. Um, weird. Um, that's a weird book, but not for the reasons we were talking about. And. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it might be because this shed is slightly damp, maybe. And um, mm. but anyway, anyway, um, it was this book called Old School by Tobias Wolf um, which is not a weird book, but it's kind of like it's this like school story of a kid in a private boarding school, um, and like every term they have a famous author come in, um. This is all fictional. This isn't like based off of real life things or whatever. Um, but then they do like an essay competition, um, and that person gets to like sit down and have a chat with this author. And I can't remember who one of, like the first person is, but then one of the one of the guests is uh, Robert Frost. Mm. Um. Oh, his dust jacket has been completely eaten through. That's so weird. What the hell? Um. um but uh, one of the people that comes is Ayn Rand. And the main character gets really, really into reading um, like the Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged and whatever. And then they meet Ayn Rand when, because the, they come and do like a lecture and then the day after you get to meet this person. Um, but <laughs> Ayn Rand in the book is just like the fucking worst. The author makes no... makes no... Bones about letting you know how they feel about Ayn Rand. They're like Ayn Rand is just the worst. Uh, and if you looked up, to, looked up to her, this is what she's like. Um, yeah, yeah. Art
2: imitates life. It's an accurate portrayal from what you've said. So hilarious.
1: Yeah, uh, and it ties back into it ties back into why people like books because you've put out the part of your brain that you can't really represent, and then people are like, well. I recognize myself in this, but where, whereas when you read Old School by Tobias Wolf, you're, you're like, I recognize that Iron Rand is, is the
2: worst. Exactly. <laughs> Which is a great thing to recognize, honestly.
1: Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I'm trying to think how best to phrase this question. Um, so, you mentioned that, like, when you're reading people like Joyce and Beckett, um, you know, and they s- sort of show how this is a way that things can be done, but there's been an intervening 60 or 70 years since they were really writing. Um, yeah, like th- it was the 1920s when, uh, 1922 when Ulysses came out, it was the same year as um, The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot, the sort of the um, Anus Mirabilis for um, modernism and postmodernism. Um but like in the intervening years we've had so many big books in terms of, you know, like what people would consider weird based off of your um metric. You know, we've had Kafka, like we say, Nabokov um Clarissa Specter, Kobo. I'm going basically off of the people you've listed. Um, and then obviously you have the Behemoth that is House of Leaves, uh, as Mark Z. um debut novel into, like, also how is that his debut novel? What the fuck? Right? Um,
2: like The man I, the man pitched a perfect game on his first game, like bro, what?
1: Yeah, I can't imagine that.
2: Yeah, it's insane. It's... Every book that he puts out from here on out will say author of House of Leaves on it. Like he's peaked and I think he knows it, which is why he's getting He's gotten progressively like more, um, what do I want to say? Almost like f- dogmatic about the books that he's writing. Like, my mind goes to Only Revolutions, which, like, the way that it is written is so, so strict with himself. Where you read starting from one direction, you read eight pages, then you flip the book upside down read eight pages in the other direction and you get the same exact scene that you just read in the previous eight pages but from the other character's point of view. And the whole Ah. thing, and the whole thing is written in almost like this, like ecstatic poetry. Like it kind of reminds me of Walt Whitman in a way where it's just very like ecstatic and like uh, descriptive and everything is beautiful, even this horrific stuff that's happening. And meanwhile, because he's not done there, because why would he be done there on every page? There's like these like news tickers of things that were happening during certain years and how many people died in specific tragedies that happened in that year. I couldn't tell you why, but it's there and it's on every page, it's insane. It's, this is the sort of stuff that after House of Leaves, he was like, you know what, I'm gonna do this now. So like, yeah, you do you man, sounds great. Whereas like a lot of other people will kind of stick to their weirdness, right? Um Faulkner's a good example where like he practiced a bit with the stream of consciousness in particular in um, uh, The Sound and the Fury. But a lot of his other books are uh, more almost like episodic or epic in like the Brechtian sense where like there's just these little chunks that can almost lift out and stand on their own all the way down to like his last novel uh the reavers where it's just a straightforward novel which i don't think he deserved the Pulitzer Prize for it but like hey it was it was (laughs) fine so like it's weird to see like who will dip back into the waters of quote unquote normal books and who is like just so far out there that, like weird books is all they seem to be capable of
1: yeah yeah i guess especially because like daneski he's one of the big ones he's working on another novel at the minute like he posted a short story that he wanted to get published in the new yorker but they wouldn't agree to maintain his formatting i think it was which is like a big part of how he writes but he's like well mm-hmm. you can enjoy this for like five dollars from my website um yeah but then he's also like just be careful i'm writing another book and it's like please mark um don't try to make this one 32 novels long uh, i'm i'm genuinely actually kind of upset that the familiar uh was cancelled after one season which is what yeah. they call the first five books for people who don't know this is a book yeah. this is a s- sequence of books not a tv show um.
2: Yeah, and the like the the TLDR of it is that it's a story of like this extra dimensional being that becomes this girl's cat, and it was going to be told from so many different points of view. In the, it was like thirty five or thirty two no, uh, novels, and these things aren't small. Like the first volume is like five hundred pages long, and he oh, it surprised hi, his uh. Pikachu face. When uh, people stopped buying them, yeah, boom! Look at that. It's not boom. a, it's not a small novel, and there's it was supposed to be like thirty of those things.
0: Yikes! Yeah,
2: yeah. Hold on. So, su- surprise Pikachu a... face when people
1: stop buying those. <laughs> this page, the text is set up to look like cat's eyes. Yep. Yay. Yep.
2: And it's great. And yeah. I love it... it. I, I can totally understand why they stopped why it was cancelled. Like it, it sucks, but I understand it.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, I suppose the question that I was asking before we fell down yet another uh Maxi Danevsky shaped rabbit hole, which I promise <laughs> won't keep happening. Um I just, look, I like him so much, but um, the question I was going to ask was, why do you think there was such a boom in people trying out new and sort of experimental forms of literature that made their way into, like, weird books as as a cultural conscious thing?
2: So, I think, and this is me sort of, like, extrapolating based on, uh, like, the art movements in uh, the world art scene. Typically speaking... Um you will see vast shakeups in uh artistic movements and artistic approaches following um tragedy or like world strife or uh stuff like that. So like the modernist movement is like in many ways seen to have been uh grown out of World War One. Postmodernism is very much seen to have uh come out of World War II, and um like a lot of like the like pop art and post postmodern that's all at least in the united states is a response to the vietnam war so nowadays like you've got my generation which is like approaching um is approaching the age when people start taking you seriously um so like late to (laughs) mid 30s um and our formative thing was the 9-11 attacks at least here in the united states and like that did resonate all over the world it was a it's a different flavor when you were from the united states so i think a lot of these we started seeing popping up like around the 90s when uh we had uh the first gulf war and some economic downturns and then like in the in the aughts to the 20 teens, uh, we had a lot of this stuff coming out because, like, people were just trying to make sense of a world that, like, was all is just now always scary. There is no, there has been. Uh, I saw someone tweet once that, like, people ask why millennials are so depressed and gloomy, and it's like, well, maybe because we watched 3,000 people die on live television and then lived through. Uh, two once-in-a-lifetime economic downturns while a 20-year war was going on in the background. Like, we're we're an existential bunch at this point, because just our whole lives, we felt that there was nothing that made sense, and there was nothing that was under our control. So a lot of this art is a direct response to this feeling of not having any uh, control over your life, or uh, of just the futility of everything like the famous story that gerard way started writing songs for my chemical romance because he witnessed the 9 11 uh, attacks happen from new jersey like that's a great example of it where it's like when confronted with this horror you have two choices really you repress it and you put it down and you become just a good worker bee for capitalism or you go inward and you become just the weird butterfly destroyer of worlds that you were always meant to be. It's really, it's really an uplifting story.
0: I mean, yeah, when you put it that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (coughs) Yeah, I definitely, I I definitely think this highlights an interesting cultural difference between certain countries, uh, and how they approach like weird books especially in the modern era because like america is on so much more of a global stage Uh than the rest of the world where like its problems are kind of reflected through world media's problems uh even if they're not necessarily like made by americans um and this isn't the best example because i don't know what nationality matt reeves is but like i mean 2008's cloverfield being like the largest um allegory for 911 i've ever seen on film you know really puts this kind of thing into perspective where their america's problems are magnified a thousandfold through the global lens
2: yeah absolutely
1: yeah but whereas i don't know obviously i can't speak to the the social and economic situations in countries that aren't mine so like i know ireland has a lot to do with um confronting its own past and that's what's making up the modern wave of um sort of weird books like the future peps of ireland by Dara martin anything by sarah Baum, um all the bad apples by maura fowley things like that but mm, even dude. in even in uh countries where they're experiencing like the wake of the retreat of empire you know like once the british people leave i think you know, like the two main people in the the language debate Ngũgĩ wa and Chinua Achebe um, i think their novels especially like Things Fall Apart kind of reflect that yeah
2: yeah it yeah. is it is remarkable because like like you said the the world is so aware of the united states's um, problems right but like it's it's a it's kind of like driving past a car crash and going oh glad that wasn't me in a lot of the instances right whereas like being inside of the country like it's 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 as bad as it looks and worse in particular because there is a subset of our population that just fucking refuses to acknowledge that the car would just crashed so like we just had the uvalde uh texas massacre where all of these children school children were gunned down in their school by this 18-year-old terrorist who got a who got two guns right after turning 18 perfectly legally which is already a fucking problem and then the cops didn't do shit to stop him because they were scared for their lives and then you've got people who are still saying, like, oh, I backed the blue, and no, those cops did what they could, where it's just, you can't, you can't reason with people who aren't even in the same fucking universe as you. It's so frustrating. And then, uh, like, completely separate from that, where you've got these, you've got these conservatives screaming their heads off. They're like, oh, we're not going to pass any gun restrictions because that would be a violation of people's individual rights. And then turn around and start perpetrating a trans fucking genocide because they just need their their voting base to be afraid of someone. So they choose people like me and my friends when we just want to be left the fuck alone. Like that's where so much of the anger in our art and our politics and our uh, social movements is coming from right now. Because people won't listen to us just saying what it is that we're experiencing. We have to sneak it to them in a story, like we're giving a dog a pill wrapped in cheese. That's the only way to get them to understand the fucking point. Or we have to be outright confrontational with these people. There's There's no other way to deal with people who aren't living in the same universe as you. Sorry, I kind of went off on a tirade about that, but there's a lot going on over here, guys.
0: No. Yeah. I, absolutely. Like it's like I mean, like it's no great shakes over here, like um, either. But I think that yeah, it's thing. not nearly as. Go ahead, Nigel. Uh,
1: yeah, it's not nearly as bad. Uh, like with the attack on trans people here as it is in america because a lot of our government is more centralized because like you know the states have kind of power to <clears throat> pass a legislature within their own individual um, states but mm-hmm. ireland is that small that it's like this has to be a whole country thing but there's still people trying to repeal the gender recognition act because they yeah. allow oh, trans hopes to go on and question trans people's existences on joe duffy's live line which is like a call-in radio talk show where they tell you know but like you can't get angry about this shit you got to put it into your art because if you start standing up and making noise then they're going to get pissed off at you and be like well i'm not going to listen to you because you're screaming now why didn't you go the calm way and it's like there's no use trying to close the stable door after you have let the horse out
0: exactly it's like you know, people often wonder, like, you know, saying, like, why is it like, working with like, political or something? Like, you know, like, do not get me fucking started on that one. But, like, there's has like, why are they shoving in, like, um, messages? It should be, like, entertainment. Like, it shouldn't be, like, it was the same thing with, like, Colin Kaepernick and stuff. i like, because when we tell it to you, like, straight, you don't listen.
2: Yeah, you have to put it in places where it, it cannot be ignored, right? Which is why, mm-hmm. like, and I've said this so much that representation is so important. And I mean from both like a racial and ethnic uh, or LGBTQ way, but also in terms of just like pure ideas, right? Because um, we were talking about it earlier with Bioshock, right? If people got to Bioshock, if people, if Bioshock got to kids before Ayn Rand, and they were presented with Ayn Rand's ideas, they'd be like, oh, this is just like Rapture. This shit's not going to work out at all. Are you fucking kidding me? Whereas if someone gets to the kid first with Atlas Shrugged or the Fountainhead, then they'll play uh, Bioshock and be like, can't believe they're trying to make this political, you know? But it...
1: Yeah, like when people ask when did the Matrix get political? Uh, 19 fucking 99, when it first came out.
2: Absolutely, and they're also like, why are they trying to make The Matrix gay now? Bro, I've got fucking news for you. The Wachowski sisters- Do you know? Movie yeah. trans as fuck, my guy. Like, come on. Ugh.
0: Uh. It's hard to have conversations like this with people who think that, like, these people who think that, like, a one-minute, like, a one-second kiss in, like, light year is, like, insane, like- gay propaganda yeah it's like we said they're not living on the same like universe and it really (laughs) yeah
2: and it really begs the question what percentage of it do they actually believe and what percentage of it is just bad faith sea lioning where like you've got you've got fucking ben shapiro right being like Oh yeah, you uh, need to be aware before you go to see Lightyear with your kids that there is um, gay indoctrination happening in this movie. Sorry, but uh,
0: I hate... Sorry, but like, did you just get Ben Shapiro on our podcast? Because that impression was like...
1: Yeah, I hate how accurate that was. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm working on a Jordan Peterson. Let's say, hypothetically speaking...
2: Hypothetically speaking, let's say I pee my pants because I like the wet, warm feeling. Um... (laughs) You can clip, you can clip that out and tweet that and say it's actually Ben Shapiro. Let's see if he blocks you guys.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, I would love fact, that.
2: I don't even remember where yeah. I was going with yeah. this. Oh, right. You've got people like Ben Shapiro screaming that this is tr- this is gay indoctrination because uh, gay people are existing in these movies. The same thing. And I had I had my criticisms of the movie The Eternals, but I thought it was a I thought it was the most important Marvel movie in probably the whole existence of the MCU because of the sheer diversity of people that it put on that screen. When was the last time you saw a multi-million dollar movie of that scale feature a deaf actor? Never, not since Children of a Lesser God, and that did not have the same fucking um, uh, Mm. budget or visibility. Mm. That the yeah. people wouldn't be fighting yeah. against yeah. representation if it didn't work.
1: Yeah, and I feel like a a large part of that is like you know like really really um to do with Chloe Zhao, you know like because he, he, she was staunch like we're not cutting out the we're not cutting out the scenes that are you know like offensive to Chinese and Saudi Arabian audiences, which is cough cough the gay scenes uh, you know mm, like yeah. either either it's in the movie or you're not in the movie there which I really appreciate And it, like, we shouldn't have to applaud you know these tiny little breadcrumbs that companies throw us but it's like like that's all we've got at the minute um, it's and I, better than nothing I will always say just to
2: wrap up on the Eternals before I turn it back to books which is ostensibly why I'm here Chloe Zhao mm-hmm. is a genius for one very specific reason she put the first on-screen gay kiss in a marvel movie in the same movie with the first heterosexual sex scene in a marvel movie just so when people start complaining about the sexualization quote unquote of that gay kiss uh between facetus and his husband anyone with half a fucking brain can be like oh you have a problem with this like quick five second gay kiss but um fucking rob stark just going to pound town on some rocks with cersei you were okay with that yeah sounds great idiot
1: yeah i what before we return to books could i read to you a tweet uh, a a thread a little thread about uh lightyear which i thought was starting off as bad like like actual criticism of it um and then but then i was like it's got 57 and a half thousand likes i'm like maybe this is satire so i chose to read on I those do, of you know. avoiding hashtag buzz here are doing the right thing i saw yeah, it in a theater last night and i'm still processing my horrifying experience and So i was like oh okay clicked into the thread the kiss was all i feared a brutal assault on innocence and freedom in the form of a playful moment of affection between two adults in a loving relationship I threw soda on my children to distract them. Everyone in the theatre screamed, having been made aware of the existence of gay people. As a parent, it's my duty to shield my children from all things in the world I don't enjoy. I had failed them. Then the film froze. (laughs) It was rewound. The kiss played again and again, then in slow motion, then in slow motion with the indigo girl's power of two playing underneath it. The house lights came up, and a Disney market... (laughs) A Disney marketing executive walked out from behind the screen with a clipboard. <laughs> Hello children. What did you think of what you just saw?
0: Yeah.
1: And the kids were already radicalized. I want to destroy my gender-identified toys and send the debris to Pixar as a tribute. I thought I liked baking, <laughs> but now I'm applying early decision to Mount Hollyoak. This movie <laughs> This movie made me hate Tim <laughs> Allen and my own penis. The children were let out of the the theatre and loaded into Subaru Outbacks One child It's like they made a car out of being gay To bring them to the Pride re-education compound near Oakland My own kids didn't even look back I just sat alone in the theatre, ruined Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse A drag queen came out and started singing Goodnight Moon (laughs) Those light Lightyear took everything from me. Save yourself and stick with Toy Story 2 where the only, only lesbian message is sometimes your girlfriend breaks up with you and you obsess about it through folk music for the rest of your life.
2: <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Ah, I wish we I could have to that leave that in. in like, um... Oh my yeah. God. I can hear you
0: reading it out and you like, laughing, <laughs> <laughs> like, laughing like a fucking like, mad woman.
2: Holy shit, uh, I'm still coming down from that. Oh my god. Yeah, so books,
1: huh guys? <laughs> so, so weird books, huh?
2: Yeah. Yeah, pretty neat. Pretty, pre- pretty cool, pretty cool.
1: Yeah, do you as a um, book talker have recommendations for people if they want to get into weird books or if there's a specific thing that they're going for, but don't know which books would represent it. Because it's kind of hard to tell when you pick up a book, like when you pick up a Kobo Abe book, you don't know whether you're going to be like, this is a story about a man who lives in a cardboard box, or this is like going to be set out on like basically an endless sand desert. Um, yep. To name two of, yeah. The
2: t- the two. That it's I've very been hard been...
1: to know what you're getting into. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Some different ins that you can get there. Um, I'll start with where it started all for me. If you just love books and a good mystery, and but want it told to you in a way that is unique amongst all books, that's going to be S by J.J. Abrams and Doug Dorst. I'm going to keep coming back to that one because I owe my platform to it. And it's a great reading experience. Um, mm. I would also say like, if you want your weird books a little more, on the um for lack of a better term pretentious side uh vladimir Nabokov is a go-to in particular um uh invitation to a beheading and pale mm-hmm. fire and if you want everyone to look at you sideways when you tell them you love this book lolita um, I've that's I have- the only
0: one of his that i've read
2: it's it's in my opinion his best, but like it's it, it's such a divisive book because of its. Um,
0: mm, I, I get that it's divisive. I just it just irritates me when people look at me like I'm a horrible person when I say I,
1: like it. Yeah. like
0: maybe I am intelligent enough to realize that the um yeah. <laughs> that maybe the main maybe. character isn't meant to be is meant to be like hated is meant to be hated and reviled. Maybe maybe.
2: Yeah, maybe maybe we have the wherewithal to know that uh, pedophilia is wrong. Who would have thought? Some of you,
0: some of you already
2: have fans. Like, yeah, absolutely. However many of you, y'all need um, If you want your weird books kind of like more on the like, for lack of a better term, like to feel more like indie rock, uh, uh, John Darn- Darnielle from the Mountain Goats. Uh, yes. Has, Yes, three novels out. I've read two of them. I've read um, Universal Harvester and Devil House. And they're real weird, but they're real good. I'm not going to lie. I like Devil House better. I'm not going to lie there. Wolf Uh, and White
1: Van is the best one. I have a signed copy of it. I went to a Mountain Goats show with it in my pocket. um, And I got him to sign it for me.
2: uh, I'm, I'm A, jealous. And B, that reminds me of how sad I am. The Japanese breakfast is coming to Boston the day before I have to catch a four a.m. flight. Because you better believe I would have been there with a copy of *Crying in H Mart* mm. for Michelle's honor to sign. I would have somehow found a way for her to sign that for me. Um, like you Oh, that's such a
1: good mm. signature. God, damn it. he drew a little heart and everything. He did I'm I'm. And I have jealous. my 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 ticket. Jealous yeah.
2: and mad. Um, so let's see. If you want some of the best prose that you've that you'll ever read, and I'm—it's the only reason that I will ever consider learning Portuguese is just to read Clarice Lispector in her native language, because in translation, I struggle to think of anyone who is better than her. Like, especially at like the sentence level. She is just unparalleled for her word choice, her uh, rhythm, her poetry. Mm. And I mean like that in the, like the poetic term, like not literally writing poetry. Uh, in particular, her novel, Near to the Wild Heart, which the title is a Joyce reference, so you can sort of see where her intellectual lineage is. Uh, that novel, yeah. is, every time I touch it, it just floors me that one person can be that fucking good. It's insane. Um, obviously Kafka, if you want your life to, uh, be terrifyingly mundane. Um, and, uh, another big one. mundanely
1: terrifying.
2: Exactly. Um, and another one that I can't believe I've gone this long without even mentioning is Haruki Murakami. Kind of, I would say like contemporarily the most popular author of weird fiction, uh, right now. Because his stuff yeah. has the unique ability to bridge the absolutely like surreal with the just like heartbreakingly personal. Um, in spite of the fact that the man, I, judging from his writing, he has never actually met a woman in his life, uh, and he's just sort of guessing at them when he writes them. We all
0: know, we all know that one writer.
2: Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, that's Murakami's big. Uh, a big fall down. But, um, yeah, his stuff... Yeah. Is, it alternates between, like, kind of terrifyingly absurd and, like, profoundly, like, beautiful. That... that cough, yeah. cough, colorless Tsukuru Tazaki. Dude. That, that novel. Like, I've never experienced a non-ending that... Affected me so much because like the book just kind of ends, right? You never get any meaningful resolution to any of the things that are happening but Mm. the way that he can tell his stories in sort of almost like a Patchwork like a gestalt of like these different moments that come together to finally form a, a finished picture is it's incredible and it's I think like his greatest strength like the the talking monkeys and the talking cats and the ghosts and the alternate realities like all of that stuff is very very good but I think Murakami is at his best when he is just showing you his characters beating heart mm. so those would be my recommendations I also have recommendations for other types of books if weird books aren't your thing not weird books but book talkers that can point you in the direction of uh, other books if that's what
1: people need Go for it! Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm
0: absolutely. Always, I'm always up for more book recommendations, oh, and as right. I found out recently, I'm not. I don't know a lot of book talk's favorites. So I did a challenge on TikTok, and I was like, i only read like two of these."
2: It's really funny because whenever I walk into my local Barnes and Noble, they have a table set up there. it's like, "Stud on Book Talk." Uh, I have not read a single one of these books, nor have I heard of most of them. So I was like, "Man, oh, I'm yeah. off the
1: edge of the map here." I did a buddy read of a Colleen Hoover book. Um, hold on, I need to turn my video back on again. Just, be, just for like the. Um, uh, mm, yep. Makes yeah, me feel me. like I should have my literature license revoked. Reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also the Atlas Six, as another book talk, darling. I have nothing but vitriol for that book. Nothing I'm in not that sure book hap- right. nothing happens in that book. All right. Hell yeah. Sounds great. But not in a, not in a fun waiting for godot way where nothing happens twice. This is like she set everyone up to be really really edgy and cool and whatever. It's like she read the secret history and um I don't know, but, but forgot I'm, to I'm be blanking good. on socials or anything.
2: Yeah, you can find me on TikTok at Jen Insight, you can find me at, uh, excuse me, on Instagram and Twitter at Jen underscore Insight, and Jen Insight on YouTube.
0: Nice, Nigel, where can we find you? Uh,
1: You can mainly find me on Twitter at Spicy Nigel, where recently I've been continuing my countdown towards the release of Avatar It's currently 175 days till Avatar 2 comes out. Uh, And I had the official Hulu account, respond to me on Twitter, unprompted.
0: Just just, just like that.
1: Yeah, so I, I just tweeted, I really vibe with the protagonists of Only Murders in the Building, because, like me, all they want to do is start a podcast. And then, I didn't yeah. tag them in it, but at Hulu responded, and nothing can stop them, because that's not ominous.
0: I mean, nothing can stop them, supposedly. Maybe that's the concept. So... <laughs> uh you can find me on twitter at Alicat underscore ali like alleyway and cats spelled with a K. and you can find me on instagram at ali underscore k underscore keegan you can find the podcast at hyperfixations p on twitter
1: or at hyperfixations pod on instagram rate and review us wherever you get your podcast be that spotify apple Podcasts, or inside of a faberge egg wherever if you would like to come onto the show to discuss one of your hyperfixations, please feel free to reach out at any of the aforementioned social media. If you liked the show, tell a friend. If you didn't, nobody likes a fucking mark.
0: And that is all for this week, Jen. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on again.
1: It was a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Fingers Fingers goodbye, everyone. for a third time. Yeah. Please. <laughs> um, goodbye. Bye. Everyone. Bye. Signing off.